Welcome to episode 61 of The Photo Show. This episode was sponsored by the School of Visual Arts MFA Photo, Video, and Related Media Program, chaired by Charles Traub, and I am always grateful for that. My guest today is Nomi Ellenson. Nomi has been described, and she describes herself as a body positive, sex positive, and feminist boudoir photographer. Uh, and one of the things I noticed uh, when I was putting the show together is I discovered that Nomi has a connection to a f- very famous lingerie shop in the Upper West Side, which she mentions in the show, even her grandmother's name. But I never put it together that it's the very well-known uh, town shop. So I decided to call Nomi uh, to ask her a little bit about that. Hey, Nomi. Hey, Michael. So I know you don't have any connection to that shop anymore, but it's it's in the family, right? Yes, it's part of my family history when my great, great, grandfather immigrated from Eastern Europe to New York. He opened up like a schmata shop, seltzer store on the Lower East Side. Um, in eight- and schmata was, is Yiddish for like cheap rags? Yeah, cheap clothing, just kind or? of like your old school Dwayne Reed, like grocery kind of like to get what you needed. So he opened that up in 1888. And it evolved over the years into a lingerie shop that is still on the Upper West Side. And and I know you you'll, you mentioned in the show that it has a, it has a lot to do with the way you work and and the kind of work you do. But you know, let's let listeners hear that in the show. My <laughs> history with bras as a five year old. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and should we um. Should we let people know that uh, you'll also be coming up as a future guest co-host on a future show? Absolutely. Yeah, it was so fun <laughs> to sit with you and Joseph um, to... Joseph Michael Lopez. Joseph Michael yeah, Lopez. At the School of Visual Arts. Um, for his episode. And he actually came by this week to check out my studio in Brooklyn. Oh, how nice. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, you guys had a little bit of a back and forth on lighting. Yes. Well, what's interesting (laughs) is he was an MFA student when I was an undergrad. And so I know him from then, but I never realized that he really got his start in photography with commercial work, which is what I and more involved in. So we definitely had a convo about that, and I invited him over to my photo studio here in Prospect Heights, and it was cool to, you know, show him the light setups that I use, and can't wait for you to come visit. <laughs> yep, and I see will be by. Uh, also, we have, a, we have quite a bit of a tech talk on this episode as well, towards the end. It's all about the tools. <laughs> All you know, about the tools. The other thing that somehow escaped me was your full name is actually Naomi. Yes. <laughs> I didn't yes. know that. <laughs> so it's from the Bible. <laughs> and because both of my parents are rabbis, so all of my siblings, we all have biblical names. But my parents just always called me Nomi. So I just associate myself more with that name. Mm-hmm. So uh, I noticed on your um, Instagram accounts, you just did a, a shoot with a yogi instructor? Yes. Yeah, so actually, she was um, my roommate randomly my junior year of college. And she and I just kept in touch. And she just went through some yoga training. And so we're working on um, creating imagery for her brand um, to do to show off her yoga skills, and she came over for a boudoir shoot. It was actually our third uh, photo shoot together, nice. so it's cool to kind of mesh all of that together. Well, great! Uh, thanks for uh, checking in and answering some of those questions. <laughs> Absolutely! Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's awesome. Um, And I can't wait to hear it and to share it. All right. Well, enjoy the show, everyone, and we'll talk soon. Bye. Well, I don't know about you, but... I wasn't sure I was going to get in today. <laughs> I'm wearing three layers on every part of my body right now. <laughs> well, it's going to get a little warm in here. But, uh... I know, seriously. <laughs>
But yeah, I know that. It'll the... be a boudoir shoot before oh, the good. end of That's it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, the you know, my train was late and then it's it, it had to switch tracks and all kinds of things. So yeah. But you come in from Brooklyn. I come in from Brooklyn. Where's that? Where in Brooklyn? Um from the Crown Heights, Prospect Heights area, my studio where I also live. The building is literally on the border of Prospect and Crown Heights. Oh. How long so, you been there? So I have been in that building for um a little over a year. And I just moved two months ago from the third floor to the second floor to my new <laughs> studio. Oh, nice. Long distance <laughs> to a floor with a bunch of um, artists who some just work there. There's like a magazine with the M- art magazine with the MIT Press there to oh. some artists that live there as well, like an illustrator who shows all over South Africa. Um, and I now have my new photo studio there, oh, great. which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Did you always know you were going to stay in New York or be in New York? I love New York. Um, I was born in Los Angeles mm. um, and lived there until I was 14. And then my dad got a new rabbi job. Both oh. of my parents are rabbis. And we moved to the Upper West Side in ninth grade. And my mom's whole family is here. She grew up on 72nd and Riverside. So we would visit New York and I always dreamed of living here. And I think when you have your whole family base here, it's very easy to picture a life here for yourself. You know, I've seen lots of people come in and come out, but when your parents are here, they're, I'm one of five children. Oh, wow. And we're all... Actually, my little brother just moved to Jerusalem. Are you in the middle? I'm the fourth. Okay. <laughs> I'm the fourth. So all my, my brother is a rabbi in Connecticut, but otherwise, three of us are in New York City. So, oh, yeah. Your brother I, followed in the family business. I'm the only <laughs> child in my family that's not currently working in a Jewish professional capacity. Wow. Actually, huh. so... Did you... Grow up reform then? Yes. Yeah. Both of my parents are reform rabbis. Mm-hmm. Um, so a liberal Judaism <laughs> pervaded in my house. Do they did they both work in the same temple? So neither of them are at temples. Oh, okay. My dad um, was a professor of Jewish history for over 25 years and then became um, president of the reform seminary. So where all the rabbis and cantors and educators go to become that Mm. he was the president of it for over a decade so that's how we moved to new york and my mother is very involved in uh, the women's rabbinic network which is for like the professional organization for reform women rabbis so they're more community Mm -hmm. organizers and leaders than at a certain synagogue so like my older brother the fact that he's at a temple in Connecticut is like, diff- <laughs> that's different in our family. <laughs> so traditional. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh. Right. Well, are you a uh, practicing Jew? Do you consider yourself practicing or cultural? Uh, or? I'm definitely Jewish. Mm-hmm. I, Do you mind me asking? Sorry, I don't I mind. <laughs> no, not okay. at all. It's a part of my identity yeah. for sure. I've been, I've lived in Israel on and off in my lifetime, and I'm involved in uh, some liberal Jewish movements that, you know, promote Israel, but also looking into kind of some of the crevices of Israeli society that needs working on. Also, when both of your parents are rabbis (laughs) and your siblings are very involved, there's no real way around it. (laughs) Right. Unless you want to just rebel. Exactly. Right. No, they're very very happy that I found a nice Jewish man to be dating (laughs) because it hasn't always been like that. Uh (laughs) But yeah, I think... Um, a lot of my work is about the morals that I've been raised with in terms of what is beauty and what's really important in life. And also, I think when both of your parents are rabbis, their work is very, and this is, I think, a thing about being a photographer, your work is who you are. And so seeing 
their passion and their work, I knew I need wanted something like that. And I knew that my work had to demonstrate what I felt inside. Yeah, and well, that's really interesting because, right, a, a rabbi, a priest, uh, an imam, they are what their job is. Right. Right. And that's what a photographer is. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, right. Being a photographer is a huge part of my identity and I get to express myself with my work. So in that way, it's similar. Um, and I think being Jewish, for me, like I have a moral, I feel a moral obligation to put positive content out into the world. So when I was doing fashion, I mean, I'll go into this more. Yeah. I felt very limited and stifled by what I was being demanded to produce, which was promoting a certain type of beauty and a certain way of being as opposed to boudoir photography where the foundation of it is way more about inclusivity and it's anyone that walks into my studio is beautiful. I also think the way I was raised, my looks were not something that, I, I mean, you know, we weren't supposed to be schlumps or whatever, yeah. but <laughs> I didn't equate my value with my outside looks. It was always about what was inside. So to then be thrown into an industry where it was so about the surface level made me very uncomfortable. To And then back to like, you, you are what you produce as a photographer. It didn't align. With yeah. Nobody ever ran up to me and said, I need to photograph you. <laughs> <laughs> I need to photograph you. You got to come over. We got to do right. a doudoir shoot. <laughs> is that a is that a, a term, doudoir? Oh yeah, it's definitely oh, a term. Um, it's the male version of boudoir, self-identified males. And I was actually in a video for Cosmopolitan where um, there's a Seinfeld episode uh -huh. where um, they do a dude war shoe, George and George Kramer. does, yeah. yes, yes. And well. so they did kind of a spoof on that. So they got five. Kramer photographs George. That's right, right. Yeah. exactly. So <laughs> they did a video of me photographing five guys <laughs> in a suite at the Dream downtown hotel. Oh, that's great. Um, and... So yeah, it's a whole thing. And actually, I think that men, it's all shifting. Men really do care about their looks. You know, there's this whole... That's always been true. Yeah, it's always been true. But <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, about how yeah. women are the ones who... Mm -hmm. I mean, as women, there are a lot of... Between our eyebrows, the nails, oh, yeah. all of that stuff. You know, the pink tax is yes. what they call it, where, you know, it's just more expensive to be a woman. But um, I find, I do sometimes couple boudoir shoots. So the couple does it together. When I photograph the man, you know, I do photos of them together. But then I do some photos of the man. And they're really into it. I think for me, it's really about every subject I have is taking the moment to be like, this is who I am. And I want to appreciate who I am. Like, that's the intention I put behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we should talk about boudoir photography a little bit. Yeah. Because it, it did get a bad reputation probably around the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, of being a, a kind of a excuse for or, or just a, a means to get soft porn out there. Right. Mm -hmm. It became this very sort of fuzzy, frilly, soft porn kind right. of uh, idea yeah. and so it was seen as as low class and right it, it did and and I did a mm -hmm. little a history mm -hmm. research yes uh, um on the boudoir cafe do you know it yeah, tell me about <laughs> okay. this I'm it's, learning it's a website all right it's a website called the boudoir cafe and they had a, a history of boudoir photography and I think there's a bunch of boudoir photographers on there and that it was um uh in the prohibition era in the 1920s where nude photography was illegal that boudoir photography became this sort of, uh, um, uh, what's the word, uh, subversive way of getting, uh, you know, photography out there that wasn't uh, supposed to be acceptable. And so there were, I, and I don't know the, the full history of what was considered beautiful in terms of body type back then, but they used what they called in the, on the site mm -hmm. larger women in, mm -hmm. in, on sets and scenery mm -hmm. uh, 
dressed in, in various types of clothing and clothing that was meant to be sexual in nature, things like that, to make this kind of photography. So it was this transition from nude photography to more sexy photography idea. Right. Well, the thing about sex is no one talks about it, but everyone's doing it, yeah. right? <laughs> it's so taboo. And um, for me, I find boudoir to be a very sex positive exercise because instead of our bodies, it be, you know, like how it was prohibited. Right. It's about in this space, it's allowed and it's safe. Right. I think that, you know, the trust with my clients is one of the most important um, aspects. There's got to be a lot of trust, I imagine. Right? Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of trust. And this goes into actually a different part of my family history, which is that on my mom's side, my great, great grandfather uh, started like a schmata store on the Lower East Side, which is still an underwear store on the Upper West Side. Wow. So I grew up with still my... in your family? Yeah, my uncle owns it. Wow. Um, and I grew up with my great-grandmother fitting bras. So when you're three or five years old and you're understanding that your grandma fits bras, right. you don't think about it in a sexual way. I was very lucky to be raised in an environment that was safe and healthy. Right. Um, I just equated bras with, oh, people go see Grandma Selma feeling uncomfortable and they leave feeling better. Right. Feel Leave feeling more confident in their bodies. So... I was, and she's putting her hands on them, and right, and right. it was totally normal. They yeah. would go into the dressing rooms, um, you know, these tiny curtain, you know, <laughs> old school deal. So I think that for me, in a certain way, I think about it in that context. Like it's way more clinical for me than yeah. sexual in nature. I mean, I know it is sexual, and sometimes when I hear other people talk about it, I. I get surprised, kind of, but then I'm like, oh, right, people come over and they take off their clothes, but I think that's what makes me good at that work. Exactly. Because yeah. I don't... If you were like, you're taking off your clothes, it wouldn't work. Right, exactly, right, but now it's like people come over and they take off their clothes before I even have to say anything, you know, even people yeah. who don't necessarily come over for sessions, if they're like... My friends or whatever, they'll be like, does this bra fit me? Does this... So, oh, so they feel in a, almost like a doctor-patient relationship. They feel safe expressing themselves to you in ways they might not with others. Yeah, and yeah. that, you know, I was a psychology major at Barnard, and I was planning on being a psychologist. Um, my senior year of college, I was interning at Columbia Medical Center in a psych lab and thought that was the path. And then I was taking photo classes and I was really loving that. So I always thought that would just be my side passion. And I then realized actually life is short hmm. and this was the time to try it out. And I was luckily able to move back home and worked as a nanny. Back for, in LA? No, back in New York City. So at this oh, point, sorry. I, no, no, it's okay. totally fine. Yeah. I get confused about the timeline. <laughs> my dad, like my parents were still living on the Upper West Side. So I moved home and then I full-time nannied for a couple of years while I was figuring out oh, wow. what I wanted to be doing. And I'm sure you can imagine parents after sending their child. Yes. To college, and then you're like, oh, I want to be a photographer. <laughs> from from a profession like psychology. Exactly, which is much more profession. reliable. <laughs> exactly. You know, to their credit, they were like, as long as you're supporting yourself, as long as we're not the ones who are paying for your lifestyle, you're 21, 22. They, they somehow understood that this they needed to let me explore. Mm. Nice. So I'm grateful to that. It was only, I still think my dad doesn't fully understand what I do. It was only, I mean, part of my photo journey was um, doing red carpet photography with Getty. I saw some of that on yeah. your site. Yeah. And 
once one of my photos was in People magazine and I showed it to him, I think he finally understood like, oh, okay, you're capable of making a living off of that. So, well, for and for the people who don't know, that's huge business for um, stock photo agencies. The mm-hmm. red carpet they make the they, they make all, almost all their profits on the Hollywood photography. They don't make profit on news photography, I and mean, that supports their news business. And the other thing, though, is the photographers aren't making a ton of money no. off of it. No, <laughs> off of that. Um, no. It's not that you can't make a living off of it. I mean, they're, those photographers, I mean, they're amazing and talented. You have to do a lot of different events in order to really make a living yeah. off of it. And for me, it was an amazing opportunity. And I did it for about two years. And How long ago was that? So that was like 2013 to twenty. 15. Okay. So I was a nanny after college. And then my big break was doing uh, behind the scenes for IMG for Fashion Week. So I had like this house pass. Oh, nice. That I was able, yeah, it was awesome. Press press passes are the best. They're the best thing ever. Yeah, Yeah. seriously. (laughs) And um, I was able to do front of the house so like celebrities who are coming backstage all the models getting you know glamified (laughs) um and I did I had that for three seasons with IMG and that's when I met the then head of the entertainment division Parky Lee and he was like let's sit down and talk about you doing more work with us and so it led into that I was doing events almost every night for about a year and a half two years what does IMG stand for (laughs) that's a great question it's yeah (laughs) international model group it's okay yeah that sounds um, right it's It's not you know international monetary group no (laughs) it's it's the bit it's one of the huge modeling agencies Mm -hmm. and they're also the behind the scenes producers of fashion oh okay but you know when you when you did um, tell your your folks you were going to be a, a photographer, I, at the time they I'm sure they didn't know what kind of photographer you wanted to be. Um, I didn't know what photographer right, I wanted right. to be. And then, but then the it's a kind of a double hit. Then when you do decide to do boudoir photography, I imagine that must have been a, another conversation. And do they get that? <laughs> right. Well, because of the family lingerie history, oh, yeah, it yeah. wasn't totally off base. That's true. I had to make a decision at a certain point that I needed to pursue the photos that I wanted to be creating. And because I was a self-sufficient adult and, you know, there were certain things like I needed health insurance, Mm -hmm. you know? So like there were certain requirements that they had, which were good, like adulting practices. (laughs) I, for about like, a year, two years, didn't really talk to them that much about my work, really. You know, it was kind of as long as I showed up yeah. for certain events and um, seemed to be doing all right, they luckily let me pursue it. Because also I was doing Getty while I was simultaneously doing boudoir mm-hmm. on the side. Like, I mean, I learned in school... For me, like, you should shoot as much as possible. Any opportunity you get to photograph, you should be photographing. And I didn't have any conflicts about doing red carpet photography and then in the mornings photographing models for modeling agencies. So there was enough kind of happening. And I got into boudoir very randomly like I didn't graduate from school and I was like oh I'm pursuing boudoir photography Hmm. it was more I was doing the red carpet stuff was very overwhelmed by how much everyone was not not the obsession so much because I think like celebrity culture can be fun Mm -hmm. it 
more about how people are looking and then doing testing for modeling agencies. I was kept photographing all of these very young and skinny women. And also I dated an androgynous model for a while and I got to really see what that system is like in terms of payment mm. and, you know, getting hired for something and then actually how models live. And I realized, oh, our society, our society is promoting this very glamorous lifestyle. I mean, everyone talks about this. This isn't new, but yeah. I really was able to see how... You were there, yeah. I yeah. was there. And back to being the daughter of two rabbis, I was participating in this cycle that wasn't aligned with who I am. Mm -hmm. And I would photograph my models in lingerie. So when you do model testing... You get a makeup artist, hair, you, it's a collaborative effort, you get a stylist. But I found some stylists I liked working with, but I ultimately always like to style my own photos. And the fashion that I know the most about is underwear. Hmm. So I would dress them in underwear. And then one day, like I was doing a shoot and someone mentioned boudoir photography. And, and what did you know about it then? I knew it, it was corny. <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of lesser, less mm -hmm. than. And it wasn't like a genre of photography that I learned about in the same way with portraiture and nature. But it spoke to me because it included this body positive vibe to it and it included lingerie it was about making people feel good but body positive in the way you're doing it right yeah, yeah right i'm very into photographing all ages i mean my oldest client and i'm down to go older <laughs> was 72 she did it for her husband of 52 years wow and then also in terms of running a business, I discovered that boudoir was something where each client was my boss versus being hired by these fashion companies where you don't, I mean, being freelance, you know, you're waiting on so many checks all the time and... And you're doing the work that an editor wants you to do typically or the person, the client, right? And right. You, you talk about... Um, boudoir photography. You talk about the work you do with your clients as collaborations. Yeah, absolutely. I'm. I have a certain formula that I've created in my studio. You know, from the moment they walk in and they get a glass of prosecco to <laughs> looking at their outfits, I want them to feel involved. And at the same time, I have created structure in terms of the poses. So I demonstrate, I have certain poses that I really am into and I think are flattering for a variety of body types that they can copy me. So I do it, then they copy you me. You demonstrate. Yeah, I oh, demonstrate wow. each pose mm -hmm. and then they copy me. And then once they're in that pose, you know, I'll tell them to move their heads, move where their arms are. And that allows the client to have some agency over it and then I get to see how their body naturally moves and then I'm able to capture that smile or that slight hand movement that kind of brings it more to life. So there's a structure, but within that structure, there's room hmm. to move around. Hmm. So, And what about things like background backdrops? Is it is it just, is your studio more like Open window spaces, natural lighting. Yeah, so it's, if you picture Brooklyn Loft, mm -hmm. that's the vibe that is going for it. Um, so it's a combo. I mean, the most important tool for me is light. Mm -hmm. I'm very into natural light. I do, you know, a lot of studio stuff as well. So I know all about strobes and continuous lighting, and there is a time and place for that. Mm. But... 
there's nothing like the natural <laughs> light yeah. and just like a lot of it. And so as long as I have light, you know, you can find, a, you can use a white wall, you can use a white curtain. I have certain pieces of furniture that I incorporate into the photos. So I have a boudoir couch that I use all the time. Um, I have like a room divider that I found upstate in Troy when I was visiting one of my best friends, you know, for like 80 bucks, this like 1910 room divider with like beautiful upholstery. Um, I have this makeup table that you would see in a commercial studio type of thing. So I have props that kind of, in my mind, are timeless. Like maybe you, you would look at it and be like, you know, in 50 years, oh, this doesn't look like today. But, you know, when you see the old Hollywood glamour photos, those are timeless. They just, mm -hmm. they still look good, even if it's of a time. Right. So. I'm interested in those types of pieces. It's been, you know, an evolution in terms of the look and stuff, but it's not, to go back to your question about the what I thought of boudoir when I first discovered it, it's definitely more full than that. Like it's, it has more dimensions yeah. to it. And actually, so I have this like couch and I work with a white wall and one of the former bachelorettes, I met her once I was doing an e-commerce campaign and she was the model for it. So I met her a couple of years back and she kept my number and then she came over to do an author photo and we, you know, while we were doing the author photo, I used some of these like more my boudoir tools and she ended up, you, that photo is going to be on the cover of her book. Simon & Schuster liked it more wow. than their cover oh, great. photos. So I think boudoir for me is about feeling good. It's like the ultimate luxury. Mm -hmm. You know, we spend, people spend so much money on exercise, all this stuff. And I think it's kind of in line with that. Yeah, absolutely. We started talking about uh, people of different body types and, and you also... Uh, are involved with the LGBT community, mm -hmm. and uh, I, you know, I have a, a friend who's undergo who's in the process of undergoing post mastectomy reconstruction yeah. surgery, reconstructive right. surgery, right? And and so you've had clients who've been through that, and absolutely, yeah, yeah, and and you you reference that, you link that back to the um, uh, your parents' involvement in the community and your your parents' idea of social justice, right? And yeah, absolutely. I think fashion photography that I've enjoyed the most have been for these LGBTQ companies that are yeah. kind of pushing the boundaries on what people are supposed to be wearing. So a lot of the photos that you're referencing, a lot of that work has been done with this one underwear company that it's like genderless neutral gender underwear and for one of their campaigns like their spring campaign they got models who had breast cancer got their breasts removed and then opted not to have breast reconstruction and it wasn't meant to be uh it's not meant to be a commentary on what you should or shouldn't do right. when you've gone through that situation it's more that it's all right to make that choice with your body. So the model hadn't had reconstruction. And for me, that's where I feel the most great mm -hmm. photographing. And um, because I feel like the images do more than just advertise the underwear, which I'm happy to be doing that work too. I've never really had a conflict about using photography to make to support myself <laughs> to make a living yeah because that's what i want to be doing i don't i don't want to be babysitting. i'm sorry it's a pure art you may not make money <laughs> right exactly i mean i don't know where that accent came from. yeah no no, it, no but it's you know that's kind of how a lot of artists sure. go about it but that's not bad i just haven't had any conflict about wanting to be able to support myself. And I love photography enough that it didn't ruin my love for photography. Right. Because <laughs> I think that's for a lot of people when you put like a monetary value to it, then 
it's all over. But for me, it just validates that the work needs to be done, that this is content that needs to be shared. And I'm so grateful that I feel this with all my clients, but Melanie, who didn't have the reconstruction for her to let me take photos of her in such an intimate way and showing off how awesome she looked Mm. was it brings me a lot of joy and I think that's where that's where the magic comes from you know so so do you do you have um I guess enough exposure and experience now a lot of your clients are word of mouth or how do your clients typically find you right well you can always have more clients. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, word of mouth is a powerful tool. While I've been developing my business, I've listened to a lot of photog- well, photography podcasts, but also just like business podcasts. Um, I think a lot of like entrepreneur startup podcasts are very applicable to running your own studio. And you know, a lot of the things that I've learned from that is like, you want people chatting about you. You want people saying things of, you know, the work that you're producing. So the power of word of mouth is huge. I also sold boudoir shoots on Guilt City and Guilt City is like Groupon, but it's owned by Saks Fifth Avenue. Oh, wow. So it, you know, just has a certain reputation. High class Groupon. Yes, high class. Exactly. (laughs) High class Groupon. And I sold over 40 shoots on Guilt City. So that was amazing. I mean, marketing is a whole beast that I currently really struggle Mm -hmm. with because I want to be producing, but I have to be thinking about, well, what am I going to post? And yeah, you know, uh, Jackie Battenfield was just on the show. Yeah, I yeah. just listened to, she's And she says, you know, awesome. y- y- you have to stop thinking that you're not also a business when you're a photographer. Right, yeah. and right, you are your business. And I think that, I think about that part too much. <laughs> and I'm hoping that, I feel like the last couple of years I put in a lot of thought into that business part and I'm hoping you know, 2018 to the future. I mean, I'll always have to be going back to those, to the minute details and stuff, but that I'll be able to, I'll be able to let that part of my brain rest a bit and I can just keep producing work as more people talk about me. Mm-hmm. Doing a podcast like this is amazing, <laughs> you know, because I can share it. Yeah. So all of those different components and, and really you're also sharing some some good advice too so. oh thank you i appreciate yeah. <laughs> it yeah well the only way that i've you know been able to do this is through hearing other things podcasts have played such a huge role actually in my journey i say that i got my mba through podcasts mm. really because mm. you can literally find anything like anytime i've ever been stumped with something, you just type it into the podcast search yeah. and you'll find the most expert hmm. X person talking for 30 minutes or an hour about that. So, and I don't want to go back to school. No, you right. know, like <laughs> I'm deaf. I did what was required right, of right. me. And that's actually one of the things I like about photography. Although, I could always go for another good, meaningful class who couldn't, you know, <laughs> right. but. Well, and that's, yeah. there, there's a, a part of the reason why I'm doing the podcast is, mm-hmm. is that, is to meet more people in photography, right? Like you would if you were in school, is to, is to keep that community going. I mean, you, you, you lose a big community when you leave school. Yeah, absolutely. And so you have to figure out ways of keeping it going, of maintaining it. Right, and that transferring of ideas Yeah, like listening to your podcast, just, you know, it doesn't have to be someone who's doing the same kind of photography as me for me to be like, oh, right, Mm -hmm. I need to hear that every once in a while as fuel for Yeah, no, I I think it'd be dull if it was just everyone who was doing what you were doing. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly, (laughs) right. So is is the business all yours then? Are you the... The sole proprietor. I'm an LLC. You are. I am an LLC, yeah. And it's all mine. Uh It's definitely, 
it's conflicting because it's a business, but it's also my photography. So like there are businesses often, you know, you look for funding to grow your business. And what I'm going through right now is, well, am I trying to sell a percentage of all of my work going forward? Because if people, if you do investments, they want a piece of all of it versus just boudoir, just... um, Oh, I see. What do you separate of your work when you're looking for investors? What are they investing in exactly? Exactly. And I don't think I have to know the answer to that question Mm -hmm. right now, but that's definitely something I think about. I mean, I definitely don't do it alone. I have the support of the other artists I live with on at Crown Studios. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Do you have assistance? And uh, no, just like I have good friends oh, who okay. I can talk to about mm-hmm. what's happening. And um, there's the woman who runs the studio that I live and work in. Her name is Grace Moon. She's a painter. She's a professor at Queens College, and she basically took this huge raw loft space and divided it into like 12 artist spaces and she's been extremely supportive of my mission and you know I was living in like a much larger space that was double the price and then there was an opportunity to move downstairs for and then cutting your overhead Mm -hmm. those these types of fun things Yeah, yeah but having that opportunity to do that and being in a space that allows me to run my business and people don't think it's weird or pervy. Cause right. that's when I first started doing boudoir, I think a lot of my friends were like, cool, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like no one really, right. <laughs> I mean, no, that's, that's the lowbrow reputation of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's Fredericks of Hollywood. Right. right. Exactly. And like there's space for that. I also want there to be a space where I can take photos that put out content that really show that people are beautiful. Um, I imagine you must have some some interesting stories or just reactions from people who didn't think they could look that way in a photograph or or, or see themselves that way. right? Right. Well, in terms of the power of word of mouth, there's an artist, she lives in New Jersey, and she was diagnosed with ALS, so she's pretty much paralyzed throughout her whole body at the age of 30. She's 36 now. And she heard about me, and she got in touch with me to do a boudoir shoot with mm. her. And, you know, she's wheelchair-bound. She paints with her toes now. Wow. She's a very interesting, wonderful person. I went to New Jersey, and I did a session with her. And... The conversations we've had post the session with some clients, you know, they show up, we do the session. And I like to think that I have good relationships well with all of them. But, you know, if they're doing it for their wedding, An then event. The wedding, then it's right. You know, then it's over. But with Lindsay, she and I have had a had an interesting dialogue about, you know, since for the last six years, since she's lost control of her body, you know, not feeling beautiful and kind of not recognizing herself anymore Mm. and how our session and then her looking at the photos kind of reminded her, you know, this is her body and, you know, there's value to it. And I don't think, I don't want to claim like, oh, the photos show she had value. Now she's a totally different right. you didn't, whatever. You but didn't solve everything didn't solve, by photographing someone. I'm not solving right. world peace. Right. It's photography. <laughs> but I think it's just but about it's putting that like little bit out there in the world and normalizing it. Because I think we live in a culture where we don't want to be seen as like different. You know, you want to fit in or... Whatever. I mean, I experienced that, you yeah. know, not wanting to feel different. But ultimately, we are all really have something different to offer. So I think that to me was really meaningful mm-hmm. in terms of like her seeing herself differently. Yeah. Uh, you started to mention this a little earlier. Do you see the connection then to what you do and your background in psychology? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like every 
session is kind of like a therapy session, <laughs> you know. Uh, well, it, I can imagine that. It's very intimate. It's very personal. You, re- I mean, you literally are exposing yourself. Totally. Yeah. And for me, I just like to feel like it's a safe space. And so I'm happy that, I mean, art therapy is a whole yeah, industry a whole t- right. unto itself. I mean, I've always been interested in people. And I've always been interested in understanding people. I didn't want to be a psychologist, ultimate, first of all, because I love photography and I love taking photos most mm-hmm. of all. But when I was in college, I also did uh, like the student emergency hotline. Oh. And doing that and seeing how after doing that for several hours, I would feel so emotionally exhausted and spent because you're constantly dealing with other people's issues. I didn't really want to give myself in that way in my career to someone else. Like I feel like as the daughter of two rabbis, rabbis often, you know, they're very giving to people in the community and there are other people to be worried about. And I wanted to have a career where I could be concentrated on myself. And so the boudoir photography, it's what I, it's the work I want to be doing. I want to be creating photos, but it also has an element of personal connection and right. Like it's, it's not like I'm seeing someone once a week for f- yes. 10 years. and <laughs> It's not officially therapy, right? <laughs> it's not officially therapy, but I think right. it is therapy to go into somewhere where it's sex positive, it's body positive, and then at the end of it, you receive photos that validate you, you know, yeah. so. No, absolutely. No, I, I, I think that's, that's really completely what you're doing. You're, you're allowing people to... To see themselves in a, in a way that maybe they, you know, they, they didn't know that they could be. And uh, you said you do um, couples, and that, but then you sort of break it out into individuals, like each right. person and all. And so there's like a whole set of photographs together. and Yeah, separ- and yeah. separately, um, every session is different. You know, that I think goes in with the collaborative effort. And I think that's also very similar to fashion photography, where every you know, session, like when you see a magazine cover, that was a team of people that came together for that one specific photo or set of photos. Right. Do you use assistants or is it just you? So I have an intern from Pratt. She is a junior photo um, major there and she's been working with me and that's been awesome. I'm not against assistance. I also... Well, you're introducing another element that you have to be really careful about. Right, exactly. And something that I know is with fashion is like fashion photography is, you know, it's always, it's a huge team effort. Yes. And I'm cool with it being... You're being worked on on like a car. Yeah, I mean, I'm bossy. (laughs) You know, I'm... Right, exactly. I'm bossy, so I don't (laughs) mind being one-on-one with someone and being Mm -hmm. like, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. So I want to actually teach other photographers how to do boudoir the way that I do, because I think it's something that a lot more people could be partaking in in general. So I'm not Mm anti-teaching people how to do things. I think that also goes back to me using natural light versus a lot of strobes, because when you're you really need assistance often when you're dealing with several different light sources and you need someone paying attention to the hair light and the background light. You need to make sure everything's tethered <laughs> and all of that stuff, which I'm capable of doing, but I really just want to use the natural light as right. much as possible. <laughs> and I think that goes back to college and working with, you know, 35 millimeter film camera. And we did not, I did not photograph at first with flashes and all of that stuff it was just using available like exactly and i think that is me kind of playing more into like how i was taught Mm -hmm. and what's inside me so yeah but having worked for getty and img and your your commercial clients and all right uh you must have come across then a lot of different kinds of equipment how did you settle on what you liked so a lot 
of being at sessions and seeing what other people were using and because you know assisted some big commercial photographers also you know there's been a lot yeah there been lots of steps on this journey um i chose not to go the assistant route that's like one of the ways you go into commercial photography is you become someone's full-time assistant and then you slowly build your own thing but actually i felt like as a woman it was harder for me to find jobs like that because mm. it requires a lot of strength like taking something from here to there, like oh, heavy equipment. Okay. So the job description was always like, must be able to lift 200 pounds. Right, and like, like <laughs> I'm actually much stronger than you think, but mm-hmm. I think that a lot of photographers just want... They won't see they, it. Right, they just right, don't... Right. They're like, well, that's right. a main thing, and yeah. I don't know if this person... That's not the only reason. No, but I know, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, yep. not to make it all about gender. <laughs> um, so my favorite is um, a beauty dish, Mm. which is a round uh, light modifier that has then like a white little dish in the middle of it. This is like parabolic, curved in? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And um, you can put a grid on it. So I'm into like one source of light Mm. as much as possible. You know, you learn a lot like when you take light classes I took a bunch of classes at FIT you know three light setups five light setups I think there's something very for my work very moody about like a one light source so whether it's the sun or a beauty dish I like that like bam I remember when I took studio photography here at the School of Visual Arts yeah there was a little bit of like um pride in just how many lights you could get on that set right i'm using seven lights or yeah how many lenses you have (laughs) how many camera bodies and that whole philosophy i think can be good i mean if you need five different lenses in order to achieve Mm -hmm. whatever you're doing then that's what you need but for me like i have one camera body i use the canon 5d mark iii and a 24 to 105 lens. And I literally have used that for my red carpet photography, mm. my boudoir photography, my commercial photography. I mean, part of it is because all the lenses are so expensive. Yes. That's really pro- <laughs> the main reason. You know, if they were like 100 bucks a pop, I'd have a lot of them too. But when you're dealing with like equipment that's several thousands yeah. of dollars, I think there's something about having your camera your lens. The 24 to 105 is one of those very multi-purpose lenses. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And <laughs> you know, the aperture, it only goes to 2.8 as opposed to 1.4, which it'd yeah. be amazing if it went to 1.4. <laughs> be also a lot bigger, a lot right. heavier, and a lot more expensive. Exactly, right, exactly. <laughs> so like I'm able to make do with that lens. <laughs> so yeah, I use this one beauty dish. I love using the grid on it to create like even more dramatic of a light. The beauty dish creates a really crisp and even light. It's more crisp than a soft box. Like a soft box is very yeah. soft. It wraps that light just wraps, wraps. around everything. Exactly. Right. And this is more like flat. I also love shoot through umbrellas. Yeah. Like cl- white pearlescent Umbrellas. So I guess, yeah, I like the So you're using light that gives you a little more edge to it. Yeah, Yeah. right. Yeah, I guess those are my favorites. In my new studio, I have good light. So I'm excited (laughs) about that. I'm just into natural light a lot. But I do see how these different light modifiers really do help create certain looks. And one of the things that I've done is I was an intern at Jack Studios, which is a big commercial studio over in Chelsea in that 601 building on West 26th. Mm-hmm. And I was an intern there and I created an entire guide to all of the equipment in oh, wow. the equipment room because, I mean, I graduated from school not knowing anything about commercial photography and I mean, you know, there's five pound <laughs> weights and there's two pound and then there's 25 pound weights and then there's this kind of balance and then there's this, you know, little knob that allows you to attach an extra umbrella. And I mean, it's complicated. And also there's no one way to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, so. I, I learned. And like I said, I, I learned a lot here when I took studio photo mm-hmm. class about right. gear and equipment. Yeah. And I also learned a whole lot when I worked in a science stock photo agency 
about equipment. And, you know, I spend... I spend many hours in the good old Calumet uh, showroom. <laughs> I miss Calumet. <laughs> Me too. That was my favorite yep. one of all of them in that area. I mean, yeah, PhotoCare is amazing. PhotoCare is great. Where I got my five D, and we're so and thankful they're still around. Yeah, yes. no, I love PhotoCare. Calumet yeah. for me was kind of my favorite. I just thought it was like the best priced. And the most thorough. They had their own kind of brand that was a little exactly, cheaper. And you could right. use a lot of Calumet brand things. Exactly, right. Clamps and arms. Exactly. <laughs> and that's actually where I uh, purchased my Broncolor Beauty Dish. Uh, so yeah, the, in terms of my equipment, there was this whole pro photo versus Broncolor debate that I was having. Yeah, we still have a nice Broncolor uh, strobe set up at uh, Mercer where I teach. Oh, do you? Yeah, it's still a beautiful thing. I mean... Yeah. They're both beautiful. Like, it's really, it's not like comparing apples and orange. Right. To me, at least. Like, I think they're both really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Bronze color, to me, had like has a little bit more of a sophisticated edge to it in terms of the look of it. It does. But, it's nicely designed. Right. Yes. But I think the differences are fairly minute. I mean, I think the best equipment you have is the equipment you have absolutely just the best camera you have is the camera <laughs> you have holding, on you right? exactly right you know <laughs> i just sold uh traded in my 5d mark three to yeah. i went you sony get? you went sony the new that's... a7r3 all right i want to yeah. hear some more about yeah no it's that. It's, a, it's great it, it takes a little getting used to that electronic viewfinder but it has uh -huh. a very beautiful electronic viewfinder right. it's yeah. very high res um mm -hmm. There, there are some advantages to that because you, you're not, it, it doesn't matter what aperture you're at. If the exposure is right, you're going to see the exposure correctly through the EVF. Interesting. So, so it takes that whole it guessing It shows you game. the exposure in the viewfinder, which is, it's, like I said, getting used to it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm someone who used a, you know, a Leica 35 millimeter viewfinder on top I of mean, my camera for the that's longest the Rolls time. Royce right? of yeah. But, uh, yeah, I've been shooting with that. And this, re uh, the thing I really love, uh, a Voigtlander 40 millimeter 1.2 lens Ooh. on it, which was made for the Sony camera, the E-mount. And that I love. I love that lens uh, with the little time I've had with it. But I also have the 24 to 105 f4 that they came out with. And that's a great lens. That lens works great. Yeah, yeah I think, you know, it just depends on whether you know exactly what you're going to be shooting, like a portrait where like a 40 or something. Or, you know, just like you know the distance versus are you going to be somewhere where you need like a variety oh, of... Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the Sony versus Canon. And I, I mean, love the 5D3. Believe me, I had it for years. I've been, I've been yeah. shooting Canon since I was in high school. So it wasn't a slam on that. Yeah, I just liked right. what this camera does. Totally. No, yeah. and I love my Canon, but I'm not wedded to it mm -hmm. in the sense that I still feel like there's more on my journey in terms of finding what my sweet spot camera yeah. is like I got the 5D when I was shooting for Getty and I needed a professional yep. camera it's heavy but it's light enough it's not like a medium format camera. no it's not that big right you know you're able to be semi portable with yeah. it it's also um, built really well yeah. yeah, but the Sony, I mean, I feel like people who know their stuff are all getting Sonys. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a very hot selling camera right now. It, it's also a good deal smaller. So right. that, That's it actually amazing. takes use to, but it does take, so I have small hands. It works for me, mm -hmm. but people with larger hands are buying the, the extra grip just because there's no place for your they pinky. You just need a little Your pinky extra. goes off the battery grip. Right. Because yeah, it's so small. You need an extra <laughs> little bit to love or right. something like that. Yeah, I was actually, I'm right now in the market for a portable camera. I mean, I use my yeah. iPhone 6, which is a pretty good camera. Oh, yeah. No, these, these phones have very they're, good, I mean, they're great unless you want to print. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I need something like a little bit more substantial. So I've been like looking at Sony point and shoots, the Canon point and shoots. And yeah, Canon just came out with a mirrorless M6. Right. And, right? you know, obviously the Leicas, <laughs> yes. which is what you can always aspire. <laughs> you know, I think cameras are like New York City real estate. You don't get everything. <laughs> That's right. You know what I mean? You're going to have to make some compromise oh, yeah. on something. That's it's right. really expensive and you're going to have to make a compromise. <laughs> so I think I'm in my head being like, so which compromises 
Am uh-huh. I am I wanting to make a compromise on focal length, or mm-hmm. am I wanting to make a compromise on the sensor? Right. Or video. Or video. Right. Yeah. All all of those questions. <laughs> so I definitely that Sony. I want to hear updates and yes. see photos. So you. <laughs> I can see what's going on. Oh, yeah, on. no, no. I'll, I'll, we'll get together. I'll show it to you. I yeah, want to yeah. see it, you for sure. You can play with it a little bit. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Part of it is, yeah, just kind of... Shoot, had I known, I would have brought it. Yeah. <laughs> God, how could you? I'm only carrying 50 pounds yeah, of equipment exactly. already. Yeah, exactly. No, you walked in. Like, not only are you wearing, like, five layers of everything, you also have 20 bags, which is, like, also the predicament of a photographer. You're, like, a... Yeah. You're a bag... <laughs> Person, I'm a traveling salesman. <laughs> Seriously, though, yeah, your portable office. Well, this has been great, and and thanks for the the gear talk. We haven't had a, a good gear talk in a while. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's it's important. Got to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for uh, braving your way in here on this. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. All right, everyone, and. Uh, Stay warm out there. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.